You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you to episode 34, where I got to pick the album today, and Abigail got to try to slot in a brewery that was appropriate for the album. So my album selection today was John Cougar Mellencamp's album from 1987, The Lonesome Jubilee. It's an album I discovered in medical school. There's another MTV connection, as always, in the 80s. Of course. Abigail, tell us a little bit about where we'll be having our beer today. So we're at Mastery's Brewing Co. in St. Pete Beach, Florida. And the reason I chose this brewery is because as you alluded to, Dad, when you assigned me this album, this is very much a kind of hometown hero vibe. John Cougar Mellencamp is a down-home kind of guy. And a lot of the songs on this album are about small towns and family and this is a family owned brewery owned by the mastery family who are big restaurateurs and gourmands in the saint pete beach area so we came out here to support a locally family owned brewery and we are i i'm really excited for this flight of beer we have so i'm thrilled to be here yeah we do have a little bit of a personal connection to the brewery in the sense that somebody who popped on the podcast when we did the midnight oil diesel and dust album Mike Franz uh, lives in the St. Pete area. So I've been to this place a few times with him over the years. And so it was great to come back. And it's a gorgeous place. But we're also very excited because before we got to start this, we were able to have an interview with the owner and founder of the brewery, Matthew Dom, who joined us to share a little bit of information about the brewery with us. So let's turn it over to him. All right. Well, we are delighted to be on scene at Mastery's Brewing at St. Petersburg Beach. And tonight we're joined by Matthew Dom, who is the owner founder of Mastery's Brewing here at the beach. Matt, thank you so much for having us tonight. Absolutely. I really do appreciate you guys reaching out to us and giving us the opportunity to share what we have going on out here at Mastery's Brewing Co. And we're excited to be here. You know, this is primarily a music podcast, but we do... Oh, I like that. Wait a minute. He's got something I don't have. What do you have there? Oh, so, you know, you can't resist the opportunity to crack open a nice 16 ounce <laughs> pint of our breezy tropical blonde air here on, on the podcast oh, very cool breezy tropical blonde i'm working very on, nice. i'm working on dean stout myself late as in the am night I. <laughs> as am i but as i have a, we as you know we love a dry irish stout <laughs> i don't think i've been at it as many hours as you have so i i should have gone a little lighter matt i'm fascinated by how businesses start and what you brought to the table here at the beach how long have you guys been operating here at the beach so here at mastery's brewing co we've actually been going almost six years we opened up in august of 2016 we're almost the veterans out here in the state of florida because obviously craft beer is relatively still young actually when i was working on my business plan and getting ready to start going under construction green bench brewing co just opened up in st petersburg three daughters st Pete brewing you know these are a lot of my buddies and friends who are getting their breweries open so we were you know about a year and a half, two years right after them. And then, of course, the first brewery out here on the coastal side of town in St. Pete Beach. Right. Oh, very nice. It's a beautiful space. What kind of building was this before you guys changed it over? So this was a functional auto shop. This oh, was wow. actually one of huh. the oldest auto shops located out here in St. Pete Beach. It was an old golf gas station. Actually, if uh, if you check out our Instagram page, you can go ahead and, and circle back. You'll find some of the black and white photos that a customer brought to us and said, hey, we have some vintage pictures of you guys. Would you like to have it? 
honestly. Oh, wow. Absolutely. That's amazing. Fabulous, because this building itself was actually built in 55, so there's definitely some history to the island and to the building itself. Yeah, Abigail, I'll tell you, one of my favorite things to do when I go to breweries is check out the repurposed architecture. And I've been to several that have been service stations, and it's such a cool design. Your outside patio, for example, clearly you could see where everybody drove up. Oh, yeah, that that overhang that now provides plenty of sunshade for our customers. I mean, clearly it's been there since the 50s. It ain't going anywhere. <laughs> right, so right. It, it worked out perfectly for, you know, being able to provide uh, for patio cover space. And you were telling me before we got on here that you've been through a couple of hurricanes already since you've opened. Yep. And that's still standing. So Absolutely. <laughs> wow. I was going to ask you, let's say I was walking up for the first time mm-hmm. and I bellied up to the bar and said, what do you got that's your best stuff? What three or four options on your menu would you tell people? When it comes to Masters Brewing Co., you know, the biggest things we really focus on is quality. And with quality is focus on the drinkability of any of our beers. So right off the bat, when we're looking at our cores, whether it's our Boca Ciega Bay, which is our West Coast style IPA, which as anybody's seen, the West Coast IPAs have really been making a strong, strong comeback in the world of IPAs. That's been our flagship IPA since day one. Then we've got our breezy tropical blonde ale, something smooth, something light. We actually use a Norwegian farmhouse style yeast to ferment out of that, known as quike. Oh, wow. Quike. Uh, it's K-V-E-I-K. Kveki, Quike. We were actually one of the first breweries here in the southeast region of the United States to start using Quike. You know, the very cool thing about it is, one, the fermentation time. And then two, the esters, the natural esters that can come out of it through just letting it free rise at ambient temperatures. When we do breezy, we let it go up to the 80s, 90s. We just just set the tank high. We let it free rise. We get all these really cool tropical notes on it, some melons, some almost pineapple. And then when we balance it out with the hot profile, again, we take a base blonde recipe, add the farmhouse yeast to it. And I mean, so by definition, it would fall under more of a saison, but again, the intent is to really focus on a blonde recipe but to give it those tropical notes because wow. of the environment we're in out here in St. Pete Beach but really just to create a really fun cool beer that takes a blonde a little bit above and beyond what most people know a, a typical blonde to be and I will note that's the one you opened that, that is <laughs> the one we have opened we're going to have to try that one <laughs> Dad. Have have that one. yes ma'am I can see where you're going well you get to pick the beer for the podcast that is true so. I do so I mean there, there's no joke. 75% of all beer sold across the market is IPAs. So anything that we put on an IPA, we do super well with. Whether it's our hazies, our West Coast, we get a little bit more piney with our East Coast IPAs. Even coming down to our Pilsners and Lagers. Really the things that do well out here in the St. Pete Beach community as far as craft beer goes, IPAs, Lagers, and Blondes. They do a fantastic job. Good, light, beachy beers. Absolutely. Right, right. As opposed to the darker stuff that people aren't going to take to the beach so often, right? The stuff we like. Yeah, the stuff the, I should the say. Stuff the stuff we're drinking the stuff at we're the drinking. moment. But ironically, the large base of our consumers really are Midwesterners. Where we are out here in St. Pete Beach, we have a huge seasonal of Midwesterners and Europeans that come out here that are looking for quality beer. So even when it comes down to our Hefeweizen and our Czech Pilsner, we just get a lot of strong appreciation for those traditional styles that that we're doing even down to our uh, amber or brown ales but again it, it really comes down to that rotating consumer base that we have because of where we're located geographically in uh, st Pete beach so do you feel like you're trying to build a great beer in each category is that sort of the approach you guys take our focus is quality bar none i mean that's absolutely the number one thing that we focus on if we're going to brew a beer we're going to do the best jobs that we can on it i always kind of joke and go we like to brew what we like to drink 
and I am non-biased to any of my beer. I love to drink anything under the spectrum of craft beer. And so when you come in and check out our menu here at Masteries, you can find Saisons, you can find Mixed Culture, you can find Brilliant Blondes, a Hefeweizen. We have an award-winning Kolsch that we do, down to a really a fantastic chocolate coffee porter. I mean, you name it. We get into the hazies. And right now we have a new hazy on. It's a sour hazy IPA with pineapple in it. Oh. Make a, make a note, Abigail. Yeah, make I'm writing notes. that down. So, again, the, the, the focus is quality, but we love the inclusion of beer. We want all beer enthusiasts to be able to come in and find something that they truly can relate to, that they love. And then that also gives us an opportunity that we've had that one beer that they really enjoy to change up their palate a little bit show them some of the other things that we can do that have a lot of dimension that are similar to the things that they like but maybe isn't something that they would normally order because it's just outside their realm but they're like oh well you've got one or two beers that I drink got anything else i can just try do a flight of something and now we've got an opportunity to expand their palate past their typical go-to styles so we're driving over here you're talking about somebody who's a regular i have a uh, good friend of mine who lives in town and so he's meeting us over here as we're coming over to set up tonight and he calls from the room he goes i'm 10 minutes out order me a heffy he knows exactly what he wants when he comes here you're talking about people who may not vary their choices too much right i go to the board looking for the weirdest things i can find <laughs> right i will try anything you know i'm a flight guy i'll do four or five six things and try all of them because i like the variety so do you guys like so you nail down a great stout, which I've had before last time I was here. That's your recipe for a stout. Do you vary that much or do you find that you stick with, I got this great stout recipe, I'm just going to do the stout here? Or do you feel like you push that yourself outside the envelope? So with our coffee porter, we make one porter here at Mastery's. It's a chocolate coffee porter. It's pretty much almost been the exact same recipe since day one. It's just been fantastic. And we felt like we don't need to make another version of it. Now we also have a pale ale series called called our ambient pale ale, which we use that Norwegian quite yeast on. We let it free rise. We just had a lot of fun playing with all kinds of different hop varietals to see how those hops play in with that yeast through ambient temperature fermentation. So we're on generation eight oh, wow. of this beer. So some things we get down, we nail it as far as the base recipe, looking at the grains, looking at the hops. The only thing we're ever really tweaking is going down to efficiency. Can we extract a little bit more sugars? Can we get a little bit more body? What can we play with with water chemistry to overall make sure that when we're producing a beer that it's really the best version of those ingredients that we can put out but we have our mixed culture series which we call Juliet, which is in our four barrel fooder punchin it's a french oak converted 500 liter you know wine barrel you know we've done everything from a mixed culture blonde ale that has a mix of the norwegian quite yeast in it is our base saccharomyces having a now i can't tell you what lactobacillus but we had a base lactobacillus Bacillus in it that it's now has evolved. A couple different Britannomyces. A now, Are you sure you're not just reading his yeah, shirt? Just, just <laughs> reading <my> shirt. <laughs> I, I, I see that he has the Seven Sun like, shirt on, but we, we don't play with Petio in this house, but we do play with Brett, Lacto, and, and Bay Saccharomyces. But with this beer, we've done it in a version from 
blackberries and raspberries. We've done it on apricot. This last version is on acai. So we're just taking this base recipe and now we're focusing on the fruits that we believe can really hone in and represent the base beer um, right, and right. enhance that flavor profile. So yeah, that's seems great. like certain styles are more accommodating to that. You were talking about the IPAs because you can pick and choose a variety of different hops. And then when you get into things like a stout or a porter, you're kind of limited in your choices. Well, and that's it. I mean, for us, our stouts and porters, we use a lot more of those noble hops, those traditional English style hops. You know, you need the bitterness there to do what it does with the beer, but you're really focused much more on the malt characteristics where even here in the state of Florida, now we have like the University of Florida, the IFAS program has been growing their own hops. So we've been working with them and we've been working on a lot of whole cone hop type projects. And again, here in the state of Florida, you talk whole cone hops. Most breweries aren't even set up to be able to handle that. So we've had to get very creative on how we work within our own equipment that we have of how can we get the best coverage, you know, the alpha beta extractions and play with this new hip cool hop. That's so cool. You know, versus just importing all of our pellet hops. So Abigail and I both went to the University of Florida. I'm intimately familiar with the IFAS program. Maybe we should look into uh, chatting with those that folks up at so IFAS about cool. the hops thing. So I can tell on. you for a fact that the fun thing about the in hops with UF, one is clearly their research program. Their focus is on creating sustainability to show how hops can be successful here in the state of Florida. A great program. They've got some brilliant scientists working on this stuff. The biggest thing is, is to be perfectly honest, they need more people with eyes and ears on what they're doing. So it helps further in the funding and investments that's put into it because clearly this is all research right now. Right. And research doesn't have an ROI like a business does. Right. So they definitely need a lot more people in tune to what is going on and how much really what they're doing helps the Florida agricultural system as well as the beer industry. Wow, yeah, how that, cool. Yeah, we should look into that. Yeah, Abigail. absolutely. That's a great idea because it's more proof of concept, right? But you can prove you can grow in the state and maybe at certain strains, whatever does well. But once you prove that, then that's an entire crop that can swap out other crops that we're having problems with, right? Even citrus crops, where we've got so much citrus graining that we're losing citrus crops. So Well, and if it's a new variety that people want to play with, correct? that's even more exciting. Dude, that's super cool. What a great concept. So I have one final question for you. It's the, probably the most important question for a music podcast. When did you first hear of John Cougar Mellencamp? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly, I mean, you know, I've always been told I have a face for radio, by the way. I mean... Okay. All right. Well, so do we. That's right. <laughs> no, I mean, just, you know, you can't, I mean, from the gray hairs alone, you know, it's very deceiving on where I'm at. Where did I verse hear about Mr. Mellencamp? <laughs> was it John Cougar? Was it John Mellencamp? Was it John Cougar? No, no, Mellencamp? for me, it was, it was definitely John Mellencamp. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Late in the game. Yes, definitely later in the game. And I want to say. Oh man, you know I'm being thrown. Out. I like I, I wish I had a little preference on this. You definitely, you definitely kind of well, threw me one on this. Very, this is a we're very disarming here. We like to throw people <laughs> under the bus and not warn them that we're going to ask about the music we're going to discuss too. You don't have to have an answer well, he knows I, he I, knows I, I of know, it i he know knows who john ellencamp is but for me i want to actually say it was probably in the late 90s early 2000s oh wow um is definitely where i first hit on that and again so i'm a musician myself oh um well you're buried the lead there you know, <laughs> i would so. say so 
again, for me though, it was more so around the melodic structure of some of the music that he put together. And what I'm gonna tell you, like I'm a huge fan of music. I am horrible with names, horrible naming songs and all that. But if I hear a tune, I could probably spit out to you the rest, you know, the tune of what's going on with it. That's just where I am. So as far as like, again, growing up, uh, I first started learning on piano. So I learned to read and sight read music, but got into singing in middle school, high school, uh, self-taught guitar. By the time I was like 16, I bought myself a four track and I was playing like the keyboard, the bass, the guitar parts and all that. And long story short was, is I found that it wasn't as fun to play the whole band by yourself. No, so of course not. I <laughs> just have always been a fond appreciation of it. And now I've got a great collection of like Gibsons and Ibanez and cool. you know Martin guitars, you know, just more so that are just great artwork in my house because I spend most of my time making beer. You're too busy here and now you can't play the music. So two questions on that then. Do any tapes exist of this uh, musical concoction <laughs> that you put together when you were playing all the instruments? If I pull out one of my, it was either a Boss or Zoom digital four track I'm sure it does exist. And again, when I was in my 16 to 18 time, I spent a lot of time in a studio, which actually uh, Digital Underground, if you've ever heard the band, the group Digital yeah. Underground, yeah, yeah. They, they did the sure, sure. sex pack, the Humpty Dance, all that. Yes. My buddy actually owned the studio back then that they recorded that album no in. No way. And wow. So again, mechanical engineer background. I was doing refrigeration. His brother next door to that studio rebuilt refrigeration compressors so i would go to his brother for refrigeration compressors and then i started i had some time I'm like i want to play in your studio so with his other brother it, uh, it was no joke his brother was garth and one was wayne and <laughs> no joke like it it, it, it doesn't get any more That's ironic. Awesome. Um, but he's like, yeah, oh yeah, you know Digital Underground? He's like, yeah, these guys were in here and like, like, no, we recorded their original album when they did wow. the Humpty Dance here. And so, again, I spent a lot of time and he helped me, but again, it was still a one-man band show and I think that's the thing that really drove me to making beer was the community and the involvement and the collaborative creativeness where it just wasn't a one-man show. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what kind of lost my interest in music as an individual had a fond appreciation but I just never had that collective group of friends to like hey yeah let's do yeah, band who's practice on the bass, let's, who's on the drums let, right. let's do all these things and actually like get together you know from time to time and actually play well if you can locate any tape of you playing in the past we will, we will be demo happy it to share on the it. podcast <laughs> Every now and then, a few of the bands here that come out to Masteries do let me front from them from time oh, to time. Oh, fantastic. Every now and then, random, and I just kind of get called out. I'm like, hey, Matt, come on up. So uh, two years ago, pre-pandemic, if anybody out there doesn't know, when you have Tampa Bay Beer Week, there's always a battle of the bands. There's always a battle oh, of the wow. Brewers bands. And I was like, we're, we're doing this. Traditionally, so Copper Tail, 81 Bay performed in it, and then Dunedin Brewery, and then it was us. And um, my wife was actually, at the time, I think four or five months pregnant oh with our, 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 our child. And uh, so she sang Spiderwebs. Oh, hell you know? yeah. And, um, <laughs> but we, we just had a fantastic time. So that same band, um, from time to time, they're like, yeah, you know, if you ever want to. And, you know, so I, I think for me, that's the best thing that I love about being in the beer world is it really has collectively pulled all of my different passions 
passions, my creativity, the things that I love doing, the people that I love working with, everything from the engineering of our systems and what we do to you know, the math and science of this down to the marketing and then but then the hospitality side and then getting involved with musicians and artists. I've always been a jack of all trades. What job is there you can be a jack of all trades in? I found it. This is it for me. And a sense of community because you put a place like this in a community and you can feel the community vibe out there tonight. Oh my just gosh, sitting on yeah. the patio, you know, that it's a spot that people come to. It's a spot people want to be at yeah. in your local community and that's the best part of it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're just making beer here, people. I mean, but... <laughs> just. We're just making beer here, but we're creating experiences yeah. we're creating a sense of community together and that's absolutely my favorite part like again we're not saving lives here these are happy moments these are things that we enjoy we toast to creating a level of community together i mean what other industry gets to create a level of community like this i will drink to that my friend yes. thank you so much you didn't ever answer the question about when you first heard of john mellencamp okay. but we're we'll not gonna hold you to hook. it we'll let you off the hook <laughs> i led somewhere in the late 90s yeah, early 2000s i could have just know. said mr happy-go-lucky and i would have been okay I'm good today. but we so much appreciate I'm sure there's you a guitar riff in one of his songs that I'm like, I, I need to learn that you one. You could probably go up there and play a John Mellencamp song right now and do it justice, but you just don't know when it's from. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. We thank you so much for having us tonight and really accommodating us. I know you had a busy night here. Thanks for squeezing us in. Thanks for taking the time. We really love this place and we really appreciate you letting us in the door. Again, the appreciation is all mine. Thank you for your interest in Masters Brewing Co., what we do, and overall, the interest in the beer community. Craft beer is a community. It's not a brand. Absolutely. Totally agree. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Yep. Cheers, guys. So once again, we want to thank Matthew Dom for joining us and giving us so much information about the brewery. And I can tell you that it is a gorgeous place. Again, a converted service station. We're sitting underneath the garage door where we're looking at the brewery itself. So sort of in the auto repair area. But one of the coolest parts of the uh, brewery is this covered area where cars would come in to get gasoline. It's just a great space for an outdoor brewery. So it's a delightful place to hang out on a very pleasant balmy day. Yeah, it's a really fun space. There's a food truck outside that is owned by the brewery. Delicious Greek food. We sampled a little bit of that earlier. There's a bandstand where it looks like a band is setting up to play a little bit later That's here right. tonight. So to we a got a rush. Efficient, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and some turf grass and beautiful seating out there. So it's a really cool space and I'm having a great time. And we just got started. Yeah, and we just got started. We haven't had any beer we yet. We haven't had any beer or heard any music. We're already having a great time. So the first beer we're going to have, and I'm just going to go in the order on the flight board because I don't think any of these are going to be too flavor heavy. That's going to mess up our palates. So the first one is the highest beer on your flight spiral staircase. I know. It's <laughs> yeah, what would you call this? It's very like a cool looking. Cast iron spiral staircase. It's just, I took a picture to put up on the website. Oh, it's super cool. Yeah, it's one of the coolest flight sort of display things I've ever seen. But this beer is called Just Like Old Times. Just Like Old Times. And it is an orange and vanilla creamsicle style wow. sour. And you know, I was inspired by Core Brothers ice cream when I chose this beer. Okay. Talk about other family-owned businesses. Yeah, talking about hometown stars. Core Brothers is definitely one of those. Cheers. Wow, that's really tasty. Very it's hardly sour. No, but it's very orangey. Very orangey. A lot of orange flavor. It's tart, I would say, not sour. Mm -hmm. But 
but mostly and, sweet. And then once you get past the citrus part, the vanilla is the lingering flavor. It comes on at the back half of that. But you know what it tastes like? It tastes like orange as you would find in a creamsicle. It's almost like an artificial orange flavor oh. like you would get in a creamsicle as opposed to eating an orange. So it's like very creamsicle. So it's, yeah, it's very close to right? that. Right? Yes. Maybe it was an adjunct because it is a strong it flavor is of very orange. Punchy. But it's really good. Yeah, that's really tasty. Good pick, Abigail Thank Hummel. Thank you so much. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about this album and, and Mr. Mellencamp? I don't have a ton of exciting stories. This was another one that I discovered when I was in medical school, watching the MTV channel, as I was often doing. This particular album, the song Paper and Fire, which is the first single from the album, had a music video on MTV. Now, there's nothing particularly exciting about the video itself. Hmm. It's pretty straightforward. It's loosely a performance video video where they seem to be playing in a very poor residential area, like an African-American neighborhood in a very small rural place. Mm-hmm. And they're playing the instruments outside of a house. So it's mostly a performance video, but the sound of the music was unbelievable to me. I hadn't heard anything quite like it from a rock band. And that's because he built the thing around instruments that you typically wouldn't hear. But the biggest thing was this fiddle. They had a fiddle player who's also from Indiana, where John Mellencamp is from, who just dominates this album. Yeah, and for it, sure. It was such a spectacularly beautiful arrangement of music that I was completely engaged. And so I went and got the album, and the entire album is made up of that. The songs are very much all in the same kind of musical style, heavy on some of those traditional instruments. You would call some of them maybe bluegrass or Louisiana kind of instruments, maybe. And the songs are built around that. And it's interesting because the albums before this one were more traditional rock albums. He had a lot of, huh, really? a lot of albums prior to that, Scarecrow, Pink Houses. Those albums were very traditional rock and roll albums. Had a lot of rock hits. Gone all the way back to, I think his first hit may have been Jack and Diane. But this is completely different than that. So I bought the album. I loved it. Bought a subsequent album, which is called Big Daddy, much in the same vein. And then he kind of went back to the more traditional rock after that on some of his albums, which I also bought. And I went back and bought a bunch of the earlier albums. Oh, wow. Like this was my entry point for John Cougar Mellencamp, who's obviously gone through a bunch of name changes. They weren't going to market him with the last name Mellencamp, so they made him John Cougar. He released some early albums as John Cougar. Then he went through this phase where he was John Cougar Mellencamp, so people realized it was him. And that's when this album and came out. Was the name that was on this album yeah. and then an album or two later he just removed Cougar from his name and has marketed albums as John Mellencamp ever since. I would call him Americana mm-hmm. as far as the style of rock and I feel like he is the rural American version of Bruce Springsteen. So where Bruce Springsteen talks a lot about blue collar factory level issues and tells a lot of personal stories with that as the backdrop, John Mellencamp does a very similar thing about folks in small Midwestern communities farm communities and the stories are very similar to Springsteen stories in the sense that they're very people focused simple stories the themes can be heavy but it's generally about a handful of people yeah and he uses their names and he uses names frequently it's a very precise type of storytelling vocally he also has a very raspy deep voice he's a chain smoker has been forever oh, had wow. heart attacks when he was fairly young oh my gosh and one other thing about this album the reason it's so family oriented or feels so family oriented is that he around the time that he was writing this album 
album lost an uncle that he was very, very close to, his uncle Jack, who was in his 50s when he died. Hmm. And that had a big impact on John Mellencamp. And a lot of this album involves the themes and stories that kind of revolve around that. In particular, when we get to it, Cherry Bomb, he's kind of telling his uncle's story in that song. So there's a lot of reminiscing about family in the songs that we have on this album. It's a rapid album. There's only 10 songs on it. Very up-tempo, fun, but boy, the fiddle will sell me on this album every time. You know, I just decide what's my next album. Is it yeah. going to be this one? And I put it in and I was like, oh yeah, this is such a fun album. So I hope you liked it. It is a unique sound for him. Yeah, and I had no context or idea about John Mellencamp's music. The only real association I had with him was that every time I heard a song of his on the radio or wherever it be, I always thought his voice sounded like Bruce Springsteen. I thought their voices sound very similar. And now having listened to a whole album, you are absolutely right that the similarities go deeper than that. The storytelling is very similar. And I even would compare some of Mellencamp's songwriting to the Jimmy Buffett songwriting. <laughs> like he tells very specific stories with specific details and he will switch between perspectives within the same song, yes. which I find fascinating. This album really is like an album of short stories, right? which I think is really cool. And some of the other albums that we've had fantastic discussions on the podcast about have that same sort of structure. I'm thinking a lot of the Trampled by Turtles album. And I think this is also similar to the Trampled by Turtles album in that it is essentially just a harder rocking bluegrass. <laughs> That's correct. It lands in that style of music to a certain degree because of the fiddle and because of the accordion. I think the themes of the album are the similar. For sure. Because it is Midwestern issues. We talked a lot about that with the Trampled by Turtles album about some of the economic disparity of a single town mm-hmm. and how it all seemed to revolve around that. Yeah. This seems to revolve more about the issues of economic disparity in the Midwest again circa the 80s. You know, two weeks ago when we talked about the Pink album, we were talking about a song about the president. And there's a song on this album that addresses... Dear Mr. President. Exactly. I was so stunned when that came up. I was like, oh my gosh, what are the odds of that? Right. <laughs> and I mean, you didn't do that on purpose, no, I assume. I but again, Pink's is talking about a different president, a lot of the same issues. And here, the Dear Mr. President, sort of the end of the Reagan administration. So he was in tune with those kinds of things. Remember, the other thing I guess worth mentioning as we head into this is that I think a lot of this album was influenced by the fact that in the 80s, he worked on the Farm Aid project, which was, you know, the, the Live Aid thing was to work on food and hunger issues in Africa. Mm-hmm. Farm Aid became sort of the American version of that to help farmers during difficult economic times in the 80s. And so Willie Nelson and John Mellencamp and other artists and they still do this. I have a clip of the 2021 event. I have a John Mellencamp clip that's on available oh, on YouTube that I'm cool. going to put on the webpage so you can see it because he looks like somebody who smoked four packs of cigarettes a day oh, for, for 50 years. He's very, very old. Did you say looking. four packs a day? Yeah, he smokes like 80 cigarettes a day. He's a chain smoker. He's smoking in this video clip. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of cigarettes. It's a lot of cigarettes, a lot of health consequences attached to that. And he looks like he's aged very poorly, and that's going to be a smoking issue. But anyway, the point I wanted to make is that he's still involved with that project to this day, having started working on it in the mid-80s. I feel like the influence of some of the musicians he worked with, folk and country artists who would participate in an event like that, yeah, yeah. influenced 
these particular albums at the time. So yeah. they're both very good albums. I like Big Daddy as well, but my favorite of the two is this one because it just jumped out of the gate as different. And I just latched onto that different sound. I was like, ooh, this is something I got to add to my collection of things because it's so very different, so very much fun. Fun is the word. I mean, this is a fun album from start to finish. I had a hell of a time picking a least favorite. I got to tell you, this album is fantastic and a lot of fun. And I can't wait to dive into it. You mentioned the fiddle fantastic fiddle I really was drawn to the harmonica ton of harmonica yes and we've talked about this before I think harmonica is an extremely Americana sounding instrument and so on an album that is heavy on the harmonica you know I'm instantly rooted in the place and the culture he's trying to describe or represent it's so well done it's a ton of fun let's should we go track by track well I think we should dive into the track by track so you are in charge of the music today. I am. What are we listening to first? Track one is called Paper in Fire. When I saw the title of this song, the first thing I thought of was Fahrenheit 451. (laughs) 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 That is not at all related to what this song is about, but I thought that was funny. So this is a song about people burning too bright too fast, perhaps, or letting their dreams die before they really get a chance to realize them. It's a great opening track. It's a great thesis statement for the album. Those themes certainly continue throughout. You know, the first verse is from the perspective of the woman. The second verse is from the perspective of the man. So he does some of that perspective switching that I find super interesting on this album. He doesn't name drop either of them on this song, but he will do that later with several of the characters. And this is not in my top three, but I find it a very fun song. The accordion at the beginning, instant hook into this album. I mean, I heard that accordion and I was like, what am I getting myself into? Because I didn't know you had any of that kind of music in your collection, especially knowing a little bit about John Mellencamp. Again, I thought he sounded like Bruce Springsteen, so I was expecting traditional rock instrumentation. And when that accordion came on, I was just stunned and instantly intrigued. So yeah, it's a great opening track. So you had the exact same 
same experience I had the first time the thing popped up on MTV. Like, that's out of left field. The guy who sings Little Pink Houses and R.O.C.K. in the USA all of a sudden with this completely re-engineered instrumentation. It's completely different than what he'd done before. So I had that reaction, and so did you. You didn't have as much of a knowledge maybe of Mellencamp as I did at the time, but you had the same reaction, which is, what on earth is this? And it is a great opening track. It was the first single, by the way. It was August of 87. That's when I heard it. And it is my favorite song on the album still. Wow. Now, I have noticed a lot of times when I'm picking favorites that I tend to pick stuff that maybe have an emotional attachment to because how I discovered sure. the album or because so much of how I discovered music was singles and videos. So I had an attachment to those songs. And maybe that's a little bit of that. That's sort of reminiscing that goes into how I picked some of these songs. I bought this on CD, so I don't really know where the natural break into the album is. I assumed it's five tracks and five tracks. So as we go through this, I find the front side of the album or the first five tracks to be a stronger collection of songs than the back half of the album, just as a rule. Mm. But I didn't own this as an album. It's not like I played the front side 50 times and never flipped the album. I just feel like the way this is structured, the first five songs are stronger than the second five songs as a package. So a lot of my favorites are going to appear in the first okay. five. The last thing I wanted to say was I did not find him to sound like Springsteen on this song at all. In fact, that very first verse I played, the first time I heard his voice, I thought he sounded like Bob Dylan. <laughs> he has a raspy tone. So I'm thinking maybe he's a little more of a vocal chameleon than I thought. And we've talked about this, I think, on the Corey Chisel album. We thought Corey Chisel was a little bit of a vocal chameleon. Sounded like different artists, right? And I think on this album, he switches up his vocal sound a couple different times. And I think that's very interesting. He's got a raspy voice, but he does have a bigger range. He can hit a higher note than Springsteen could hit without sounding stressed. Or distressed. Or distressed. <laughs> his vocal performance is probably a little more nuanced than Springsteen's. I think most of the raspiness comes from the fact that he's a longtime smoker, right? And when you see this clip from 2021, it's all rasp. Like he's completely, oh, really? yeah. And his ability to hit the high notes sounds way more like Springsteen now than he did when he was a younger man in the 80s. Do you have any idea which of the instruments he played on this album? I think he's a guitar player. But let me see if I can dig that information up because I have information on the album here in front of me. So yeah, John Mellencamp vocal and guitar. And the fiddle player I referenced earlier is Lisa Germano. She's also from Indiana. You were talking about the accordion, the accordion player. There's somebody on here who played a ton of these instruments. A guy named Larry Crane who played mandolin, harmonica, auto harp, banjo. Wow. John Casella played accordion, keyboard, saxophone, melodica, penny whistle, claves, which are, I think, a kind of bell. Wow. Who's the backup singer? Backup singers? Crystal Telefero? I'm going to hope I said that right. She's in a few of them. Yeah, she has a pretty prominent role. Yeah, she, she kind of steps up and sings uh, prominently in several of the songs. I don't see anybody listed with the accordion, but I know there's accordion on here because it appears in the video. Yeah. So I don't know why that's not listed here. So I can't tell you who the accordion player is. But That's all right. All right. So Should we rate this beer? Yeah, let's rate this beer. So again, we're having what now? What is this called? Just like old times. I'm going big. I'm going with a four on this. I like this a lot. And by the way, as it's warmed up, the vanilla has become more prominent. I agree. It gets there faster and it's a stronger flavor. I agree. How about that? It's interesting to me that this is a sour. It is not especially sour. No, I would call that tart. But going back to a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago, what's my distinction? Right. I think I said that if something is sweet and sour together, I end up calling that tart. And if it's overwhelmingly sour without the, the sweetness added, I'm more prone to call it sour. I think in this case, the sour preparation may have helped the orange come forward a little more. So I think that was a good choice. The vanilla is really tasty in there too. And I'm going to give this 
a four as well. Wow. You're starting big. I know. And we can only go up from here, so. All right. So a pair of fours on that one. They're delicious beer. What's next on my second staircase? Next on the list is called Spring Shakeation. Staycation? Shakeation. Shakeation. This is a milkshake IPA. Oh, now we're talking. With a creamy blend of strawberries, vanilla, hops, and lactose. Oh, wow. And I'm looking at the fridge over there, and they have a fall shakecation with cranberries, I think, and pecans. And that one is really calling my name. Uh-oh. I feel like the Pops on Hops budget's going to take another hit. What do you expect? We could split it. I'm happy to do that anytime. I've just never been asked. Wow. Tell me the ingredients again. I know there was lactose, you said. Strawberries, vanilla, hops, and lactose. I have to tell you... It smells like a very interesting combination of hops and strawberries, but I don't really taste the strawberries all that much. And you can't smell that. And oh tell us why. God. Because you know I <laughs> suffer from... Do you suffer from it or do you enjoy? <laughs> it depends on the circumstance. Today I'm suffering from it. Yeah, it smells very strongly of hops, but I also get a little strawberry aroma. You know, the hops really does come through this Yeah, one. for sure. It's got a really sure. strong hop flavor. Which I think is less common in a milkshake IPA. Usually they're very muted by the lactose. I do too, but remember that a lot of the milkshake IPAs we've had have also had a more powerful fruit attached to it. You know, strawberry can be a subtle flavor. For I sure. think the reason you're probably not picking up a lot of strawberry here is because the hops is the prominent flavor. And I'm getting a little bit of the vanilla. I get a little vanilla. It's definitely creamy. Yes. And the hops are not bitter at all. No, no, no. It's a flavor. It's a flavor. Yeah. It's, right. it's not bitter. And but it is I mean, it's very interesting. It is the more prominent flavor, which is why, like you, I'm not getting a lot of strawberry. But I do get a light sweetness. I spent so much time analyzing that beer. I have very little left in the glass. So we better crank some songs out before I finish that. We have three more before you can finish. My God. All right, so track two is called Down and Out in Paradise. aforementioned Dear Mr. President song. Yes. And there's three verses and each one is from the perspective of a different person. So this first one is a guy who's lost his job. He can't draw an employment. He lost his job because the company left the town. Similar situation to many songs we've discussed on the podcast before. But I love the line. Looks like the milk and honey done run out on me. <laughs> I think that's a great line. Of course, it's a biblical reference. Right. And I think it's very sharp 
commentary to say these people are down and out in paradise, referring, of course, to the United States as paradise. Right. Because that's what we've all been taught, right? The American dream. The United States is the best country in the world. Everyone wants to come to the United States. And it's not really paradise <laughs> to for be here. Yeah. For a lot of people. Right. And for a lot of different reasons. I think it's a really smart commentary to tell the story from the perspective of people who still believe they are in paradise. And they're just down on their luck. But it's all these different people in all these different situations. So clearly something's wrong if the paradise is not working for everyone. Yeah. And I, again, this was sort of Reagan era. The song was in 87. Reagan was still president. And at that point, everybody's talking about the economic recovery of the 80s under Reagan. But it was, again, dependent on what job you had and where you were in the country if you were part of that economic rebound of the 1980s. And that was really the beginning of the it's about me, not about us mentality in the United States. I notice a lot of times when politicians give speeches, they'll say, I met with Susan, who's a nurse in the ICU in Kansas. And they tell that personal story to try to draw attention to a broader problem. And I feel like this song is kind of similar to that. Absolutely. Personal stories to try to reach out. and It's using their own tactic against them, right? Well, it's not that. It's using that tactic to point out to the politicians that it's fine to use people as props in your speeches, but these are real people with real issues. Right. And the precise storytelling here... as you pointed out, is what makes that song work. And the third verse is from the perspective of a kid, a fourth grade kid. Yes. He gets so specific with that, he even names the elementary school the kid is at. And that verse sounds like it is written by a kid. The language is very simple. He gets so into this character of this little kid that he's written the verse like it's a kid writing it. And then he says, I don't like the Russians because I hear they hate me. Right. I know there was that whole campaign about the Russians love their children too, right? What do the Russians and the Americans have in common? We all love our children. (laughs) And I know that was a big thing that was pushed when we were trying to make peace and end the Cold War. That was what was used to temper seeing the other side as a villain. They love their kids too. And so it's cool to have a a little child saying that in this song. The other thing that's interesting about that is we have all these conversations about what do you teach in schools. Clearly, the message that's been propagated in some capacity. So if this kid says, I hear the Russians hate me, that messaging is coming from the school district or from parents or from somewhere. And it's just interesting in the context of what we're talking about now with some of the school curriculum issues here in the United States that we taught people to hate other people right well anyway not in my top three not my top three probably either. number four oh, wow. i would say oh cool it's up there i really like that song huh. all right let's move to track three and track three is one that we've been hearing ambiently all weekend why do you say that <laughs> because we're staying with a friend of yours and he's been playing it around the house this is check it out
an interesting song in that it kind of has no chorus. <laughs> Pretty much the entire song is almost a call and response of different scenarios. And so it's an interesting structure. Yeah. It opens with and closes with that thing that would be the closest you could consider a chorus. Right. right. A young poet screaming out their words. But the rest of it is exactly what you're saying. It's check it out and then there's a line. Check it out and there's a line. I agree with you. It's a lot of stuff in here about, again, working class struggles, especially economic struggles, living paycheck to paycheck. I love the line about future generations riding on the highway that we built. Yeah, right. I hope they have a better understanding. Well, I have mixed feelings about that line because on the one hand, you could interpret it as, oh, these kids, they don't have it as hard as we had it. We built these highways they're driving on. But the other way to interpret it is your children, the future generations, will have a better life than you did. Right. That's and, the point, right? Don't we talk about that all the time? Right. right. And so you want them to stay humble and to understand their history, understand the struggles of their ancestors. And so I think that's a really nice line. Kind of captures both sentiments, I think. Yeah. And I think he's doing it in a pay it forward kind of way. Yeah. If you don't realize that you're on the highways that other people built, you won't maintain those highways for the next generation. Right. And we're going through a little bit of that right now in the United States. Why should I worry about the environment? Why should I worry about infrastructure? Why should I worry about people's rights? Right. I mean, all that stuff is how you pay that forward is to defend those rights, rebuild that infrastructure, and have the framework here for the next generation to do better. Right. That should be our legacy. Over the last 20 to 40 years, we've gotten away from that in the United States. This was the third single. It was released in January of 1988, by the way. And it's my fourth favorite song on the album. Okay. It was on the cusp, but I three a. Up, it's a 3A. The other line I love is, you can't tell your best buddy you love him. I think men are still having trouble telling their best buddies I they love know. them. I don't know. I told a guy I'm staying with I loved him. I know, but I think that's a very prescient line. That's a thing that people struggle to do. That's it's a people a that men thing. struggle to yes, do. Totally agree with you. The fact that he's calling that out I think is pretty cool because I think, you know, I think of Mellencamp, the little I know about him is a masculine dude, right? Right. You but I bet he would tell his best buddy he loved him. Yeah. Well, if he's writing about it in a song, you <laughs> yeah, hope exactly. he is, right? Unless this is how he's doing it. Maybe he put it in there so he didn't have to say it face right, to face. Right, exactly. And he said, man, I, man, I dedicate this song to you, bro. <laughs> hey, Mike, I dedicate this podcast to you, bro. Aw, how nice. Dr. Michael Franz, friend of the podcast. And one-time pseudo- One-time guest I- of the podcast. Intermittent guest by accident. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for hosting us today. Well, let's move on to track four, The Real Life. I 
This is by far my favorite song on the album. All right. It's my second favorite. By far. I heard the opening of this song and I said, this is going to be my favorite song. And it ended up being my favorite song. It is so fantastic. It's so upbeat, so fun. I can't even describe how much I love it. The fact that it opens with the line, Suzanne divorced her husband. That cracks me up. Again, this is what I was talking about, the Jimmy Buffett thing. Opening a song right in the middle of a story with right, no context. Right, right. Suzanne divorced her husband. Great. What's next? Tell me more. I'm instantly hooked. And then the second verse is about a kid named Jackson Jackson. So he's naming characters in this song that he's telling these stories about. I love everything about it. It's upbeat. It's fun. Weirdly, and I don't have a clip for this because I didn't think it was similar enough to justify taking a trip to the Abigail Hummel's School of Speaking Smartly About Music. But this song reminds me in the pace and the vibe and the ethos and the little musical bit after the chorus gets me too, but it reminds me of Light the Fuse by Jack Cornell. What? I have had that song stuck in my head for the past two weeks because every time I hear this song, I think of that song. (laughs) That's interesting. Isn't it? That's cool. And the the instrumentation is not the same. No, it's not the same. Jack Cornell's song has horns in it. Has the big horns. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I agree with you in the sense that the fiddle and the the stuff that they blast out at the beginning of this song is reminiscent of the one set of Jack's song has the horns just start the song. Do, do. Yeah, and so that's at the end of the chorus as well. And then the opening harmonica bit in this song is repeated at the end of the chorus. And so that I think that's where I made that connection. But also just the vibe of grabbing life by the horns and living life to the fullest and milking every single moment. That's a theme in both of the songs. So they really remind me of each other. The old podcast reference that I wrote down was the song Growing Older But Not Up by Jimmy Buffett. It's yeah. the same thing as some of these stories are about maybe not midlife crisis type stories or resolution of midlife crisis, but it's, I want to go do something that is different and unexpected based on my past history. The only other thing I want to say about this song, it told the story about Suzanne in the beginning and then Jackson Jackson in the second verse. I thought for sure that their paths were going to cross in the third verse. Oh, yeah. You were talking about it earlier about how it's from different perspectives within the same song and they tell little vignettes about their lives. But for some reason in this one, I thought Suzanne's going to go out grab it jackson jackson's gonna grab it maybe they're gonna grab it together and then i didn't get the payoff i expected in the third (laughs) verse the third verse just summarizes the whole nature of what we're talking about here something happens when you reach a certain age particularly to those ones that are young at heart and that's where the growing older but not up thing came into my head you know these people taking a chance in the middle of their lives because they're not living the life they expected in their youth and they want to recapture that youth right the third verse summarizes what they've done in this context of their individual stories but man i would have paid that off (laughs) i would have paid that off i thought this was going to have an o henry ending that's very funny there is a song that is an o henry tale if you like yeah that is an o henry (laughs) song that is an o henry tale but what do you say we rate this uh second beer let's do it so once again this is spring shakecation and it is a milkshake ipa with strawberries vanilla hops and lactose i'll go first if you want me to i would love that i am going to give this one a 3.75 i like it very much again like we said before the prominent flavor is the hops some vanilla there not much in the way of the strawberry i'm anxious to buy the one that's from the fall because i think the stronger red fruit flavors will be a different drinking experience than the subtle strawberry flavors so i agree 
Cranberry, and I'm intrigued by the pecan. Pecan staycation? The fall staycation is cranberries and pecans. Oh, okay. Looking forward to that. But we'll get that one on the way out. I know. Yeah, I'm also going to give this a 3.75. Pretty much same thing you said. I would add it's extremely easy to drink, especially for an IPA. Because while it is hoppy, it is not at all bitter. It is very slightly sweet, not overwhelmingly. And it's a good, easy drinking beer. So I appreciate that greatly. So I'm going to give it a 3.75. Now, this next selection on our cool flight board is uh, beautiful color what's this one called so this is one that we actually spoke with matt about when we spoke with him this is the acai juliet so juliet is their series of mixed culture blondes and this was re-fermented on acai so that would be the color that you're seeing right i'm not sure i've ever had a mixed culture blonde i'm not sure i could tell you what exactly that meant i assume different types of yeast but what different types of yeast (laughs) that's not listed i guess not on their menu maybe i should check untapped one moment it's time for an untapped break not sponsored by <laughs> untapped. Untapped. untapped why don't you sponsor us what do you got what information does thou havest thank you for using some shakespearean language while we're drinking a beer called juliet i do appreciate that mm, you know i'm always on top of things <laughs> So not very much extra information. Just says feeder fermented mixed culture blonde ale re-fermented on acai. It does say it is technically a saison, which is interesting to me. So let's have a sip. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. Holy moly. So that's moved up to my favorite of the oh day so far. Oh my gosh, that's so good. That's really good. Well, you know, I like weird yeasts. <laughs> and you know, I like red fruits. Perfect. Cheers. Cheers to weird yeast and red fruits. Yeah, I love a wild yeast. I love the funkiness that's in this. And I like a fruit name that has four letters and three of them are vowels. So that's cool. What about Oreo? That's a cookie. But it has four letters and three are vowels. Can we move it into the fruit category? It'd be a lot easier for me to hit my fruit targets for the day (laughs) if I could do that. Your servings of fruit. There is something in this that I can't really describe. Acai is a pretty tart fruit. And you get a little bit of that tartness up front. And then it kind of settles into something almost bready. I don't know what well, I'm tasting. Well, that may be the mix. It definitely yeah. has a funkiness to it. And you said it was technically a farmhouse. Right. So those would lend themselves to that. But where it lands, I mean, the funkiness kind of disappears from the palate pretty quickly. And where it lands is almost just like, it's it tastes like bread to me. I don't know how to describe it. Much like a cherry scone. Yeah, it is kind of like a cherry scone. Yeah, I would agree with that. Anyway. All that to say, I really like it a lot. We went around the horn there to get to the obvious thing. I mean, this is like right up my alley. So, all right. Well, let's move on to track five. Let's do. And track five is called Cherry Bomb. Speaking of cherry scones. Oh my gosh, you're right.
So this to me is just a pure nostalgia bomb. <laughs> yeah, and this is the one, by the way, was written about his Uncle Jack. But you would never know that it was written about a particular person no. from the lyrics. It's a generic story, I would say. He's reminiscing about specific places, specific activities, specific feelings. And he's reminiscing about a time, it seems, when things were simpler. A smoke was a smoke. Groovin' was groovin'. <laughs> Holdin' hands meant something, baby. Sort of that crotchety old man. But way back when in my day. But there's a sweetness to it. It's not just a grumpy old guy. No, no, no. <laughs> in fact, the, the payoff at the end of the song, there's a couple of things. The one thing about the 17 is turned to 35. There's an anecdote that you can read about on the internet about the conversation that John Mellencamp had with his Uncle Jack where he kind of said that. Oh. You wouldn't know that unless you read the anecdote. Right. But the thing I like about this is he tells his whole story and then he talks about his own kids hoping they're not laughing too loud as we reminisce. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the sweetness comes from we did all these stupid things and we're reminiscing about those things and our kids are out doing the same dumb things now and we hope they're not laughing too loud at us <laughs> as the old folks right it's more a nostalgia piece because of the payoff of the kids good point by the way in case i didn't say it that's my third favorite on the album oh you didn't say it and that's good to know so we're you're done I'm you're done tapped with out. my favorites <laughs> we're just waiting on something i disliked or didn't dislike, but had to put in the bottom slot. And we've only heard my first favorite, so we've got a long way to go for me. So my theory that the front side of the album was stronger is not borne out by Abigail Hummel. I don't know. Was the front side mostly singles? Yeah, they were. A lot of those songs were singles. Cherry Bomb was a single for sure. That was the second single in October of 1987. We already talked about Check It Out being the third single in January of 88, and Paper and Fire was the very first single off the album, so those three songs were all singles. There's only one more single, and it's on the back side of the album. Like, I talked about with the David Bowie album. If you like the singles, you're going to play side A to death and not really flip the album over. Right, and on that one, I strongly lived in side B as, right, as my right, favorite. Because you're getting it as a new thing. Yeah, I don't I don't have any of the baggage. You don't have the baggage, <laughs> as we like to say on the podcast. And yes, I have all the singles baggage. So again, singles baggage. I did the same thing here. Most if of anyone my... here has singles baggage, it's me. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm going to suggest we just move on. Alright, great. So this is track six and it's called we are the people
really like about this album, and I think this song is kind of the quintessential example of it, is that it feels patriotic without feeling jingoistic. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not a flag-waving album. Right. He's an American. He is of America. He's singing about American issues, American struggles. Despite everything wrong with America, loves it here, right? Yeah, he's doing it to try to improve America through a lot of these songs, right? And this song, I think, is a really great example of that. This is my second favorite song, by the way. The parts that make me feel patriotic, one, we are the people. That's like the very first line of our constitution, (laughs) essentially. Right. So this is a struggle we are all going through and we cannot resolve it until we all work together. Huh. It reminds me of a song we talked about on the Midnight Oil album. Interesting. What is that? (laughs) You were saying that some of the songs were written as if we had to fix it. And I, I was making the point that, yes, collectively, we have to do it. It has to be everybody involved. And it has to be a groundswell from the citizens, not fixed by the government. I'm going to say not fixed by the current government, because the groundswell of the citizens is to change the nature of government. So this song is kind of reminiscent of that. Right. And I love the course. We are the people and we live forever. He's not talking about as individual people, we live forever. But we as an American nation, our ideals, our values, our community, that's what will live forever. Right. I think that's a really nice sentiment. And... I'm not a particularly patriotic person because people take it too far. <laughs> right, right. But this is not that. This is a really... It goes back to your I opening think, sentence, which was it's patriotic without being jingoistic. Right. It's really focusing on the togetherness and the lifting up of all people as opposed to we're the best country in the world. Hoorah, USA, USA. I do want to point two quick things out. So again, it's another one of those song structures where there's individual stories in the first verse it's if you're a black man being beat down and shoved all around in the next one it's if you are one of the homeless but in the third chorus rather than tell a personal story he uses the line if you try to divide and conquer we'll rise up against you and remember the way to defeat some of the cynicism that's going on right now is not fall prey into the name calling and the dividing up of people along racial or cultural lines but to realize we're all in it together absolutely I agree with you that is a very cool reversal at the end of the song there's another reversal a little earlier in the song. So he starts the whole first verse talking about people who have been kicked down for some reason or another. And he starts the second verse off that way. But then he says, if you are one of the fortunate ones, we all know it's lonely up there. We understand that nobody's got it made. So our thoughts are with you. And I think that's a really interesting reversal. It's not just the downtrodden who need to stick together. It's everyone, including those who are more fortunate. Right. Totally agree with that. So I just want to warn everybody that the, there's a sound check going on for the band that's supposed to start here shortly. We're going to try to wrap this up before they start because much like our Midnight Oil episode, a storm is coming. Let's try to get it done. (laughs) And the storm is called live music. (laughs) All right, moving on. This is track seven, I believe. And this is called Empty Hands. Shadows of the smokestacks Through the black snow that lay on the land Walked home one winter's morning With my life savings in my hand Mary Ann, she's fixing up some breakfast Got the lights on on the Christmas tree Sitting looking up at an angel With something down 
I think the instrumentation on this song is great. Some really great fiddle in there. I don't have too much intelligent to say about the lyrics. I feel like this is just a repetition of a story we've heard multiple times throughout this album. I do think it's interesting that it takes place at Christmas. I love the line when he's sitting looking up at an angel with something dying inside of me. Yeah. It's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, it's another economic downtrodden story sort of thing we've heard before on the album, no doubt about it, with different characters. Right. I like the swampy musical style of it. It is very cool. But the reason I think the front side of the album is more powerful is maybe it's the first time you're hearing the themes and now you're getting some recycled themes on the back side. So they're musically interesting, but they're not necessarily anything special about the story. And so, I would agree to with me, that. It's sort of a fade in the album from here through the end of the album. The music is still fantastic, and there's much to appreciate. But the stories themselves, the lyrics, I think, are just a little redundant at this point. Right, redundant is a good word for that. All right. How about we rate this beer before we go to the last three tracks? Good plan. So once again, we're drinking the Asai Juliet from the Juliet series, and as I said before, it's my favorite of the day. I'm going to go with a 4.25 on that. I really, really really like that one a lot. I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. I'm going to give it a 4.0. 4.0? Yep. I mean, there's so much to love about that. There's a bit of tartness from the fruit, definite funkiness from the mixed culture, yeast, whatever they use, whatever floated in there. And again, I keep getting some breadiness at the end that is absolutely fascinating to me. And it's rare that I've had a farmhouse where the funkiness gets off your tongue so quickly. And this one, I think, it wraps up pretty quickly. It finishes pretty clean with that bread flavor. And that is very interesting to me. Yeah, it's really, really good. Okay, so our last beer of the day is another something we talked about with Matt. All right. And this is called Ambient Number 7. Ambient? Ambient. Not ambient like the sleep aid. Correct. Ambient like the music you're probably hearing right now, dear listener. I don't think that's ambient. This is a quike fermented pale ale. Remember, quike is the Norwegian yeast. Right. Using 100% Florida whole cone Zeus and Comet grown from the UF IFAS hop program. Excellent, excellent. So, talking of hometown heroes, here's another hometown hero. The hops grown in Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> That's also very good. That is good. It's definitely got a hoppy flavor to it. Gets maybe a little bitter toward the end. It's more a hop flavor with some subtle bitterness. It's a pretty pure hop flavor, I would say. The very first thing I taste is bitter, but it mellows out really quickly, and it's pretty purely hop, that one. Coming out of that fruity thing, it's a drier beer. It's pretty flavorful, and I love the fact that it's experimental hops that are grown up at the IFAS program at the University of Florida, so let's settle in on that and move on with our track review. All right, so this is track eight. Track eight is called Hard Times for an Honest Man. Oh, yes, it's hard time. 
third favorite song oh, on the wow. album. Oh, how about that? This one takes kind of a different angle <laughs> to the downtrodden in that it's about a man who beats his wife. <laughs> yeah. And then a woman who's in an equally unhealthy relationship. And it's different lyrically from the other scenarios that we've seen. The thing that drew me to this song specifically was the call and response in the chorus. Right, And right. we heard a little bit of that with Check It Out as well. Backup singer takes a really prominent role in this song. But I think the call and response is really cool and really fun. And I love the musicality of this song. And it's just my third favorite. Yeah, I think the undercurrent of it that's interesting to me is he's struggling, he's frustrated in these economic times, and he's taking it out on his partner. So again, it goes back to the economic themes that are sprinkled throughout the album. Right. Not that that makes it right, what's going on, but I think that's the story he's trying to tell there is how those issues are made worse. I mean, we've seen that with the pandemic, where domestic violence issues have become worse as a result of people being cooped up in their houses right. as a result of something that's not in their control. And so that's an interesting theme to the song. I agree. The call and response is very cool. It's a very prominent song for the backup singer. This is one of the better ones for her to belt it out. Mm-hmm. I do like the song, but again, the songs on the front half of the album to me are more interesting musically than this one. So it's been the bottom for me. It also has sort of that righteous indignation, right? I'm an honest guy. I'm a good guy. I'm trying my best and it's still hard for me. Right. And I think that captures a lot of what people feel when times are hard. Right, but we shouldn't let hard... And they hard... think they're doing all the right things and they're still struggling and they don't know why. But that doesn't mean you should use that as a way to justify violence against somebody of else course. in the home. That's the point. Right. His point of view is it's hard for me out there. Let me beat my spouse. That's... Right. What's the elevator speech of this song? It's that. Right. And that's a complex and nuanced topic. Right. You can't just boil it down to this. I like that you take a swing at a tough story like that in a song like this. I mean, these are really complicated songs Mm -hmm. overall. Yeah. So I do appreciate it from that angle. But we have to do better at teaching people how to respond differently to stress so that the first thing you do is not react in a way that hurts somebody else in your household. And I do like that he's coming at the same basic story from different angles. I mean, we saw that as well on the Trampled by Turtles album. Every story has a slightly different tinge to it. And this happens to be the domestic violence. Yeah, we're taking a theme of economic hardships in rural America, small town America, and parsing out what that means through these different vignettes. It's really an interesting approach to it. Yeah, Yeah, and again, I'll say you're seeing a lot of that with the pandemic, right? What they're calling the great resignation Mm. is to me the great readjustment. It's people reevaluating what work means to them. What work means to them and what home life balance means to them and changing their approach to work. There's songs in here that are like that. But it was a different force, a different factor in the 80s than it is now. But the same types of responses are happening, including negative responses like a rise of domestic violence. For sure. So it's a great song about a tough topic. Well, let's move on to track nine. Track nine is called Hot Dogs and Hamburgers. And I 
so this one's sort of an extended story about his encounter with a Native American girl and eventually, I think, her father that he's using as a metaphor for the relationships between the American government and the Native American people who live in this territory we call America now. And definitely some of the lines in here are a little problematic, right? But I think they are of the time. But I think his revelations about the injustices that colonization did to the Native Americans are maybe ahead of their time and similar to the Midnight Oil album, of course. I was going to say the exact same (laughs) thing and you beat me to it. Yeah, the line that really got me and I think this is a really thoughtful line. She told me stories about the Indian nations and how the white man stole their lives away and although she kind of liked me, she could never trust me. And it just captures how as white folks we really have no conception of the struggles of the people that white people have oppressed over the years and we come to every interaction with every person white or non-white from that blind spot of privilege i appreciate that he's recognizing that as i don't know how old he was when he wrote this album but as an adult white guy making those connections and then using this story as a metaphor for that i think is a nice way to kind of slip in the message it's not too on the nose i think you are correct it's discussing the broader issue in the context of a personal tale which is a lot of what these songs are this one happens to be about the struggles of the native american populations in the southwest but i think I'm going to make an assumption here that his target audience is mostly white. But I think stories of economic struggles, like working class struggles, are probably more palatable to a white audience than this story that is very clearly saying, we have wronged the native peoples of this land. Here is how, here is why. And I think it's cool that he put that story in there. I do too. This is my least favorite song on the album. Interesting. Why is that? Because the hot dogs and hamburgers makes no sense to me in the context of that story and totally belittles that story. For years, I didn't know what this song was about. I just heard the chorus, hot dogs and hamburgers. And how is one of those good and how is one of those evil? Yeah. It's hard when you just listen to the song. You know, it's a rambling tale of this guy and it's hard to latch on to the subtleties and subtext. Until I read these lyrics, I didn't really have a great handle on all the nuance in this song. And so... Hot dogs and ham- you were talking about it's patriotic without being jingoistic. To me, hot dogs and hamburgers is just sort of how American can I be? Right, right. Or you try to tell a story about a complicated thing to boil it down to some of us choose hot dogs and some of us choose hamburgers just seems like a dumb metaphor to me. And so because I was tasked with putting something in the final spot, I put this in the final spot because I don't think the chorus represents what the song is. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Listen, that's totally fair, because I have an equally ridiculous reason for my least favorite. (laughs) Which we haven't got to yet. So I'm guessing it's Rudy 2, too. Exactly. Well, there you go. I like the song. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a great message. Right. I think the chorus takes away from it. Right. Musically, it's not one of the more captivating songs on the album, in my opinion. No, it's not. But that's so funny that one line ruined your entire experience with that song. I know. It's never been a favorite of mine on the album just because right, of the hot dogs right, and hamburgers thing. Right. It's like, it's an Americana album, so let me just pull this off the shelf yeah. and take advantage of that. And then when you realize it's a complicated story... That really doesn't make any sense. And so I was like adamant that this is it. My least favorite song. And it's so arbitrary. It's kind of like sheep go to heaven, goats go to hell. And hot dogs go to heaven, 
hamburgers go he down. He doesn't say which is bad, which is good and evil. That's the problem. He yeah, doesn't commit true. to which is You're good, right. which is evil. I personally think hot dogs go to hell, but I'm a hamburger gal. All right. Well, let's wrap this up with the last track. And for those of you keeping track at home, as alluded, this is my least favorite track. And that is called Rudy Toot Toot. favorite because on an album full of really deep issues stories that represent issues and metaphors this just seems to be a story of a guy on a date with his girlfriend and while it's very nice and a lot of songs are about guys on dates with their girlfriends i just think in comparison with all the depth on the rest of the songs this one just completely falls flat yeah i agree with it. it's an americana story it's again part of why i think the back half of the album's a little weaker overall than the front half of the album for me all the heavy hitters were on the front i think that's just a simple story it's pleasant it's specific to time and place we get another name we get names but there's not an <laughs> issue every other song on here peripherally talks about some sort of issue right and this one does not but this was the fourth single it was released in may of 1988 i think it's an odd choice for a single off this album there's some other great songs on here i don't know that i would have picked this one but well it's a fluff piece right it's a fluff piece. so it's kind of a natural choice for a single to me it's the 10th track is it an afterthought maybe i don't know the answer to that but it's in the bottom for me it's the bottom two it's this in the preceding song. That's why I was saying when we got to that certain point on the backside of the album, I said the album starts to fade for me here. Right. I listen to the whole album all the time. I think oh, it's a very pleasant album. I bought it because of the music and I play it because of the music. But when you dive deep into it, I feel like the themes on the front five songs were better than the themes on the back five songs. Well, and as I said before, it was hard for me to choose a least favorite on this album because normally I'm choosing a least favorite based on a music issue that I don't like. It's slower, it doesn't fit for some reason, but on this one, they were all so great musically and consistent musically that it was hard to parse out the differences between a great solid set of musically based songs. So it came down to the lyrics and the themes on right, this one. Right, right. You did what I do a lot of times, which is you ended up making your selection based on spending a lot of time with the album and reading the lyrics and really understanding what the song was about. Right. Honestly, my least favorite for the same reason. I learned more about what the song Hot Dogs and Hamburgers was about about by doing this project it's still going to be in the bottom because i've never liked the hot dogs and hamburgers right. motif to begin with yeah. but i appreciate the lyrics of the songs more as a result of that yeah well should we rate this final beer rate this final beer I like this. Yeah. I think I've settled in on a four on this after all that. Wow. Because it's one of those clean, single hop flavor. And we've had that multiple times over the last several episodes that we've done. And 
I like it. Yeah. And maybe I'm eking it up a little bit because I know the story of where the hops came from. Who knows? But I'm going to give this one a four. To be fair, the hop story is very cool. I'm going to give this a 3.5. You are right. It's a very clean, easy drinking pale ale. But you're right. The hops are the only flavor. And just in terms of flavors, that's not my preference. Right. So 3.5 because I enjoyed the experience of drinking it. Very good. Uh, Any final quick thoughts on the entire album as a whole? I will return to this album. Excellent. To me, it's the perfect driving album because it's consistently upbeat, really fun musically. There's not a single down note on the album. I listened to it a little bit, making the drive out to St. Pete Beach, and it's a terrific driving album. So I will return to it, and thank you so much for sharing it with me. We know what that means. It means it's your turn to give me an album for the next episode. It is my turn. So I'm sticking with the Closed Door series. All right, we're back on that. We're back on that. We're now, this is the summer between 6th and 7th grade. Oh my. And this album is called How to Save a Life by The Fray. I know The Fray. I know you know The Fray, and I know you have thoughts on The Fray. <laughs> you said a closed door series, but this is what I think it got played in a car sometimes. Potentially. I'm not sure I remember much of it. I haven't listened to it for years. I'm sure when I listen to it, it'll be like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. But I've never listened to it with any critical eye or keen thinking or anything like that. So that'll be a fun project because you really love that album, as I remember. I love that album, and the two songs that were hits and the two songs that I heard first are pretty low on my list of favorite songs for the album so that'll be fun that's one where a listen to the whole album is really worth it because there are some hidden gems on it that never made it out into the public ear as it were so i'm excited for you to to take a dive into it you know me i'll give it my best shot i always do (laughs) in the meantime you can find us on all social media platforms facebook twitter instagram youtube at pops on hops pod or you can email us at pops on hops pod at gmail.com wherever you're listening to this there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you or you can visit our awesome website at pops on hops pod.com where we post supplementary material photos videos for each of our bi-weekly episodes and we have our virtual jukebox where you can submit an album for us to review and potentially appear yourself on the podcast And on behalf of Hops and Pops, we'll see you next time. She had a beer and boy, it was a good one. (laughs) So she chased after that beer with much desire. I'll drink to that. Bye. Bye. I know, but what? how are they doing over there now? I mean, Sound check. I know, but Jesus, it sounds fine. You play here every night. Move on with your life. Like, <laughs> how many more sounds do you have to check? You need to relax. Well, I hear the bass. I hear the guitar. I've heard the drummer. I don't hear any of it. Oh, they are ha- they're having issues. Oh, great. They're having issues. You know who else is having issues? Us.